Hello, St. Lucers and friends, and welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, our weekly St. Luke's podcast. I am Pastor Melissa, and it is a blessing to be with you today as we continue our Advent series on God's story delivered. Now, this week is our final week in the series as we look at the woman who is at the center of this whole season's story in so many ways, the uh, character of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, throughout this season, we have seen how Eve and Sarah and the midwives, Shifra and Pua, challenged us to see the ways in which they carried not only children in the lineage of God's story, but themes and ideas and inspiration for all of us as we look at what it means to continue to be deliverers of God's story ourselves. Now, we'll continue to see some of those same themes emerge in Mary's story as she begins the journey of discovering that she is pregnant with the actual word of God in Jesus himself, God's story incarnate, God actually with us. So this week, we jump way ahead. We've been in um, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, and this week we jump ahead into the Gospels. Now, specifically, we are spending our time today in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible or Bible app around, I encourage you to follow along as we read together and sometimes do a little jumping around and making some connections throughout this story as well. So a few pieces of context for Luke's Gospel that are important. Uh, Luke is a storyteller. Now, I confess Luke is actually my favorite gospel for that very reason. And honestly, if you think of some of your favorite stories about Jesus, stories that Jesus told, uh, parables that Jesus told, stories about Jesus, um, a lot of times those stories are found right here in Luke's account. And so it is with the birth narrative for Jesus as well. The one you probably remember, the, the one that you would think of first, and yes, the one that Linus recites in Charlie Brown at Christmas. That is from the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke's approach as a storyteller is to do exactly what we have been trying to do in this series and throughout the fall here at St. Luke's, to connect the past and the present and the future of God's story all together to help everyone see their place in the story as a whole. So the writer of Luke and Acts takes a broad perspective. Um, They connect the roots of the people of Israel to the stories of Jesus. They connect the roots to his current Christian community, the, the writer's current Christian community, to the current and coming kingdom of God in the future. And I think Luke, more than other gospel writers, invites us to see ourselves as part of that spectrum of story. The writer of Luke invites us also to see how God's story continues to be our story as well and invites us to be deliverers of God's story. So let's dive into this week's text from Luke 1. Now the text that we're going to focus on for this week is Luke 1, 39 through 49, uh, the account of Mary's visit to Elizabeth just after she is told about her pregnancy by the angel. So before we get into that specific story that we're focusing on, we need to get our context. So right before it, we have um, that classic story of Mary encountering the angel. So let's listen, um, starting with verse 26. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. And when the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, God is honoring you. Look, 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. And then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, this is one of those stories that it's easy to gloss over. We hear it year after year. But I want to highlight a few key moments that happen here that set us up to understand Mary's character and, and the importance of who she is in delivering God's story. So first, we're given our setting here. We're six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. And we find ourselves with Mary in Nazareth in Galilee. And then we get our first introduction to the character of Mary. We get some key facts that the writer wants us to pay close attention to because they're integral about those connections throughout history, the connections to um, the, the history of the Israelite people, but also an understanding of what is to come. We hear that she's a virgin. She's engaged to a man named Joseph. And this man is a descendant of David. A lot of those things are, are very important for Luke's writer to, to connect us to Israelite history. But the key to where we're going this week with this story is the last verse in this section. You see, throughout the, the section, Mary asks a lot of questions. It says she's confused. She asks how something like this can happen. But once she's had this interchange with the angel, she agrees. She consents to be part of God's story in this way. And in some ways, we see echoes of the other women we've talked about this Advent. The wrestling, the questioning, the back and forth. But in the end, agreeing and consenting to be part of the promise, to be part of God's plan and God's story, and to, to take some elements into their own hands as well. Now, throughout the Gospel of Luke, uh, we see Mary portrayed in two different lights. And what, what it is becomes this intersection of potentially seemingly conflicting ideas that exist in this character of Mary. Mary becomes this intersection between obedience and scandal. Now, Mary agrees. Mary is willing to be obedient, to participate in God's story. And yet, when you think about what she is agreeing to, that story is one in which she has agreed to be a willing participant in a scandalous story, pregnant out of wedlock. And as we continue to explore Mary's character, we consistently see this intersection of obedience and scandal. And as we look at all the women we have talked about throughout this series, we see much of that same intersection with them as well. But it's important to note here, Mary actually isn't forced to be part of God's story. When you hear what the angel is declaring about her pregnancy, the, the angel's words are actually in the future tense. Mary is not yet pregnant. This is a declaration that is being made of what is to come. But at the moment, Mary has some questions. And after she's had a chance to ask those questions of the angel, 
we see at the end of it her assent to what the angel has declared. She chooses of her own volition, consenting to the angel, saying, let it be so with me. Mary consents and chooses herself to become a co-creator in God's story. We continue to see a little bit of Mary's uh, uh, personal co-creation because um, at this point, this is when Mary takes off to go see Elizabeth. And we come to the first part of our focus text for this week, verses 39 through 45. So you can read along with me if you have your Bible. It says, Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. So here we hear that Mary goes to see Elizabeth quickly. This detail conveys Mary's joy and wonder and her own choice again because the angel didn't tell her to go see Elizabeth. The angel just told her that Elizabeth was pregnant. Mary is chosen on her own to go see her cousin. And then when they meet, we see a sign of the Holy Spirit. The baby in Elizabeth's womb, who we now know is John the Baptist, he leaps for joy. You know, this is kind of like the first sign of John's ministry, even before he's born, because we know that his ministry will be to to prepare the way for Jesus, to tell people um, that Jesus is coming. So we see both a sign of the Spirit's presence and a sign of Jesus' ministry to come all in this moment. We also hear that the Holy Spirit is with Elizabeth as she offers these uh, prophetic oracles. It just seems like a greeting to her cousin, but if you if you delve into what each of the sentences that she says um, really mean, she declares much about Mary that she couldn't have known before Mary's arrival. And we continue to see the intersection of scandal and obedience with Mary's story. Elizabeth greets Mary with great joy, speaking oracles over her that identify her faithfulness and her blessedness. And it seems like an affirmation of her obedience, but it's also obedience that leads to scandal. You know, if you were told that you were favored by God and blessed by God, as as we hear Mary continually being told, your first thought would not be that God's blessing would come in the form of having a child out of wedlock who would later be executed as a criminal. We see in this moment a a glimpse into what it really means to be favored and blessed by God. One commentary said that this passage clarifies that acceptability, prosperity, and comfort have never been the essence of God's blessing. So here, Elizabeth speaks blessings over Mary. These four statements or four oracles, as they are called, that are her prophecy from being filled with the Holy Spirit. First, she declares Mary's blessedness that a child is to be born. Now, we don't see anywhere yet that Mary has told her about the angel's annunciation. So this knowledge um, must have come from the Holy Spirit to Elizabeth. And the way we hear her declare Mary's blessing reflects one we've heard of other women in scripture. One particular one where this this mirrors almost exactly the language that is used um, for another woman in the Hebrew scriptures, Jael. (laughs) A blessing is spoken over her in the book of Judges after she kills um, Sisera in the midst of war. 
It says, may Jael be blessed above all women. May the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be blessed above all tent-dwelling women. That's from Judges 5, 24. And we hear that same echo when Elizabeth says, God has blessed you above all women to Mary. It's another intentional connection that Luke is making to the story of Israel in this moment. Now we get another revelation in Elizabeth's second oracle in her statement to Mary. She calls her mother of my Lord. Now again, Luke is being very intentional in the writing here. My Lord is a distinctively early Christian phrase. It's a confession of faith. So Luke is already letting us know that he's writing this from an early Christian perspective for an early Christian audience. He discloses the identity of the child in Mary's womb through Elizabeth's words, and Luke is connecting all the parts of the story together here. Elizabeth continues with her third oracle that explains the leap of joy in her womb and foreshadows John the Baptist's ministry to prepare the way for Jesus. And then her fourth oracle is another blessing, a beatitude on Mary that that mimics and, and has the same language that we hear of Jesus' beatitudes in Matthew. Um, She gives a beatitude on Mary for her faith that the promise in her would be fulfilled, a blessing over her obedience and her willingness to be part of delivering God's story. Now, all of this is the first part of this week's passage, mostly Elizabeth speaking. Elizabeth speaking words of blessing over Mary for her faithfulness and her obedience to God. And it's the second half where we really, really dig into the scandalous nature of Mary's calling. It's Mary's response, her answer to Elizabeth's blessing. It's a song that she sings known commonly as the Magnificat. Now, there are a few manuscripts that actually attribute this song to Elizabeth, but it's most often attributed to Mary. And scholars believe that it is the intention of the writer of Luke Acts for this to be words that we hear Mary singing. But the more important fact about this particular passage, the power of it, is that the text of this song is not something that Luke wrote down for the first time. These words that are put in Mary's mouth are actually a poem or song that pre-existed Luke's gospel. Another writer had written this particular hymn before Luke had chosen to write an account of Jesus' life. So both here, the Magnificat, um, starting with verse 46, along with the Benedictus of Zechariah that we find in verses 67 through 79, both of them seem to have origins in the same early Jewish Christian community. This group was known as the poor ones. And this term came to be applied to people in Israel who were both physically poor, but also a more generic understanding of being unfortunate or lowly or sick or downtrodden. So the, the, the rivals of this group or the opposite of this group wouldn't have just been people who are rich, but also those who are proud, those who are arrogant, and those who felt no need of God. Now, all of this tracks once we read the text of the song itself and hear Mary's declaration of her understanding of the implication of this calling that she has assented to. I have to offer the aside here that biblical scholars and many pastors struggle with the Christmas hymn, Mary, Did You Know? Because, well, when we hear this particular song of Mary, well, let's let's read it together and see if you think she did or didn't know. Starting with verse 46. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. 
in the depths of who I am. I rejoice in God, my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. The song describes the implications of God's incarnation in Jesus. It does appear that Mary did, in fact, know what was to come and how powerful it would be. She sings of the coming of God's promises for all people and describes the true scandal of her calling and what is to come. It's what we often refer to as the upside-down kingdom, where the powerful are overthrown. The proud and arrogant are humbled, the hungry are fed, and the lowly exalted. All through the power, not of a great warrior or through great violence, but through the birth of a weak and helpless baby. The key to the Magnificat is these divine reversals that are declared to be part of the Incarnation. That this is actually, in fact, God's way of working in the world. This is God's pattern. And this pattern is to be declared by a woman and undertaken by an infant. How's that for scandal? How's that for an unexpected reversal of what was hoped for by many of the Jewish people at this time when it came to the coming of the Messiah? You know, there's been commentary that the Magnificat itself doesn't actually mention a Messiah proper in the way that many of the older Israelite texts did, or as the Jewish people would have talked about the coming Savior. And yet, there is something about that that helps to send the true message of the Magnificat, the message of the Incarnation, that this isn't, and God isn't, about the great violent overthrow of Rome that they were expecting. This is, however, what the coming salvation of, God, of the God of Israel is all about. And later we see Jesus define his own ministry in similar terms. The conclusion of this song that is focused on present and future realities ensures that Luke's continued focus on past, present, and future as one story continues. As we see at the end of the Magnificat, the last couple of verses concluding with recognition that the salvation to come through Jesus is a fulfillment of the original covenant with Abraham. It's a direct line from Sarah's story that we talked about just a few weeks ago. So yes, Mary knew. <laughs> Mary knew a lot, and Mary chose to continue to be a part of the delivering of God's story, even knowing all that she did. Obedient and scandalous, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised, though, because from the moment she was identified as a character, we could know that there was something we needed to watch out for with her. Her name alone, Mary, <laughs> means bitterness but not in the way that we would use that word today. You know, the implication of Mary's naming comes with the implication of trouble, sorrow, disobedience, and rebellion. <laughs> and while over time, Mary became a venerated and greatly valued character in the Christian tradition, especially the Catholic Christian tradition, early church fathers actually struggled with her. 
Chrysostom said she showed, quote, excessive ambition, foolish arrogance, and vainglory during Jesus' ministry. So often we think of Mary as the quiet and stoic and peaceful mother in the manger. But when we attribute this word as we are, our word of the week being peace to Mary, when we actually look at what she agreed to do, what she declared God was doing through her, the peace that we find with Mary is a much more cosmic concept. Peace in the blessedness of scandal, peace in the overthrow of the proud and powerful, and peace in the upending of the social and political order that was doing harm to so many. Now, the last time we remember seeing Mary often is thinking of her at the cross as she watches her son crucified. But that's not the end of Mary's story. The last time we see Mary is actually in the book of Acts. Luke doesn't leave her as a grieving mother. We actually catch up with her as she has watched her son's ascension as Jesus leaves for the final time. We catch up with her along with the apostles. It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered the city, they went upstairs to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, Alphaeus' son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, James's son. All were united in their devotion to prayer, along with some women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Even after delivering God's story literally with the birth of Jesus, even after parenting him, and of course, after watching him brutally killed, then experiencing his resurrection, and I'm again sure having new grief from his ascension, we see Mary among the disciples who are gathered to carry on Jesus' ministry throughout the church. A woman among men. A woman in the midst of what would be a truly scandalous community. A community in which many others would be martyred for continuing to preach and teach in Jesus' name. And that's where Mary chooses to find herself. Faithful, obedient Mary, ready to take on whatever scandalous calling God has for her next. May we seek to discover what it means to be obedient and scandalous peacemakers, just like Mary. All right, welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's, our office hours part of our podcast. Uh, we are here all for pastors. Um, I'm Pastor Melissa with Pastor Jad, Pastor Jen, and Pastor Jeremy. And we are here in our fourth and final week of our Advent worship series about God's story delivered. We have gone through the journey with Eve and with Sarah and with our midwives. And this week we look towards uh, towards the, the woman that, that in a lot of ways uh, is the central female figure in our story of God as Christians. Mary, Jesus's mother. So this week we're going to talk a little bit about her uh, importance and how she continues God's story and um, delivers God's story. And, uh, 
uh, well, this is also the week where we talk about her delivering the word of God in right. Jesus. Yeah. So when we talk about God's story and God's word, this is this is the culmination of that, where God's word is actually delivered into the world as a human baby, as Jesus. So where do we want to start with, with Mary? Oh, and then Mary helping us understand that peace is delivered as yeah. well. So those yeah. are the different pieces we'll be working with. Yeah, we're in Luke. We're Luke one, um, which you know, uh, Luke. Uh, it's a, it's a longer narrative. Uh, we get more of Mary. We didn't get much uh, of Eve, um, uh, but finally here we're getting uh, more uh, of uh, of this character, Mary, and Luke, Luke one and um, verse twenty six uh, is is when. Uh, Gabriel comes and and brings this message um, that it's really similar to the message that 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 Sarah gets, right? Right. Kind nothing of a, is impossible with God. Yeah, it's, con- it's consistent. God's everything in God's consistent, right? That deliverance of God's story again and again. Right. That that right. we're hearing. Mary's hearing what women throughout uh, Scripture have heard again mm-hmm. and again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's the understanding that too that. Mary is this young girl who is a peasant. If, if any, they knew the, of the promise of the Messiah. They knew of the promise that, that, that God will come and that, that there will be this, this understanding of God's kingdom and God's reign. Maybe they thought about it more politically. Maybe they didn't think about it in terms of a cosmic understanding. But they certainly didn't think it was going to come from a, a, a young virgin peasant girl Mm -hmm. right no account and so the idea again that god would choose this person you know who would not have been looked upon with any sense of glory or any sense of of uh upstanding title or or anything to be the one to literally birth the jesus of who is the the promised messiah Mm -hmm. It had to have been overwhelming for her, overwhelming for other people to believe. And and I think it, it comes to us to understand, too, when God says, I want you to birth something new in the world. I want you to birth a part of my kingdom. I want you to reveal the kingdom in some way. We say the same thing, How like she did. How can it be with me? Well, and if you think about Mary's circumstances of all of the things going on around her, um, she might have been able to go, okay, I could conceive of this if everything else is good, right? right? right. So in the same way that Sarah and Abraham were moving constantly, in the same way that there was this turmoil around the midwives' choices, in the same way, you know, all of all of those kinds of things, Mary is dealing with needing to travel with her husband or, or not yet husband, right? Mm-hmm. There, She's in this, this in-between time where she's betrothed but not married yet. Um, depending on which gospel you're in, there is a, you know, a hit out on babies again. Mm, Um, You've got, you've got Mm. these different pieces that are going on that in the best of circumstances, this would be a hard pill to swallow to Mm. go, oh, I'm going to need to do this, but add to it all of the other layers. And I think we as a culture now probably feel that kind of pressure of, of even just to, to say, okay, we've got to do next Sunday or we've got to, you know, we need to, to start a new ministry or, or I'm starting a new job or, um, you know, whatever is new in your life could be challenging no matter what the circumstances, but for God to call you to do something in the midst of a pandemic or in the midst of job transition or life transition that just amplifies 
the commitment to be able to accept that God's promises will continue. Yeah, because we list off all the reasons why we can't do it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, every time I go for a run, I'm like, well, it's too cold. Oh, it's too hot. I don't feel so good. I'm a little tired. I didn't have enough coffee. I think of all the reasons why. And and then, so that's just running. What do you think about like when right. God's called you to do something? You're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I, I we can give me, give me a couple list. weeks to get ready. Right. Right. <laughs> and we can easily list the reasons why, well, I can't do that. You were mistaken. You weren't talking about me. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the other Jad. It's the other Mary. Right. Um, so there's a lot up against her. And so often we have in those calling stories throughout scripture that we have read. Now, and remember, there's hundreds of years between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So for them, God has been silent. And it feels like the promise will never come. Right. Like the, they're in exile. The promise will never happen. All these things. And every time their ancestors had a calling story, they did say, I'm a stutterer. I'm too old. Who am I? I can't do it. And so to have this like question of Mary, like, but who am I to do this? Am I worthy of this? Because this is not just go call and be my people. This is, oh, and by the way, the Messiah is going to come through you. Uh, you know, who am I? I've never had sexual relations. This doesn't work. And then for her to turn around and say, but let it be with me. Yeah. 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 And be totally open and totally be a vessel. Write your story through me. Mm-hmm. Write your story in me. Write your story through me. Let me be a part. Let me be, you know, the protagonist for the moment that that ushers in the way for the real protagonist, which is the hero, which is the Jesus to come and be, is pretty profound. Yeah. It is. What, what do you all think about this idea of Mary as the bringer of peace? Mm-hmm. As peace delivered being our word. So that connection, you know, we we connected Mary in this this word of peace, this Advent word. Um, But I think there's a few different ways we can take that. Yeah, I mean, is it is it? In action, is it is it you know with our teenagers like stop fighting? Have let's have some peace in the house, um, or is it or is it the shalom that we sing about every Sunday at the close of worship? When we and that the shalom that Jesus preaches about and and offers his blessing and benediction to people is it is it a completeness or or I don't know is it both as Wesleyans uh, is it both and is it individual? Is it about mm-hmm. her receiving peace? Because that mm-hmm. moment of her going, it let cosmic, it be, like that's right? that's that's her bringing peace yes. in some ways because she could have fought it, she could have been frustrated by it, and she probably was. Mm-hmm. Like we don't see the whole story and every mm-hmm. conversation she and Joseph had, right. but but that acceptance of the calling, there's there's a bringing of peace in that moment. But then there's the the long term, there's the the greater implications. I think when we look at Mary's story, there seems to be this bridging of gaps that we have as humans that prevent peace. So like when she shows up at Elizabeth's house, uh, of course in this culture at the time, gender and age are going to be huge things, right? So gender, we don't really have playing a uh, factor here because they're both women, but age is going to be a huge factor here. And of course you defer to the person that's older, but the Holy spirit moves in this situation where Elizabeth, uh, recognizes what's happening with Mary and says, oh man, I'm honored to have the one who's carrying right. the future savior in my space. And right, So you have that bridging of gaps that where we let age kind of uh, set, uh, kind of put distance between us, right? That, that causes kind of uh, the opposite of peace in our lives. But also when we start to look at the Magnificat, 
we see this once again bridging of gaps. So she says she talks about her being lowly and the Lord look, looking uh, looking favorably upon uh, the Lord's lowly servant. But then says, but from now on, people will look at me as highly favored. There's a bridging of that gap there. Uh, she also talks about uh, the the powerful being brought down from their thrones and the lowly being lifted up. There's a bridging of a gap there. There's a meeting in the middle, possibly, uh, that, that fights against these things that, that prevent us from having pe- uh, peace as people. Yeah. I think that that's interesting. A year ago, we, in our worship series um, in, in fall of 2020, we talked a lot about peacemaking mm-hmm. rather than peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. We talked about the difference between those things, that peacekeeping is the absence of conflict. Peacemaking is the bridging you're talking about, that that peace is not a passive, um, you know, state of being it's it's actually an active process that we have to work at and work toward and be intentional about and and have skills around it's it's not just it's not just you know let's just all let's let's all go to our corners and there will be peace that that isn't exactly and i don't think when we call jesus the prince of peace i don't think that we're talking about um putting everybody back in their corners so that there is no conflict. It's about bringing people together and doing the work of peacemaking and creating um, that peace. Well, and again, she births, like the midwives birth resistance, she births the one who will be the ultimate resistance of anything but love. And and what's interesting is it's not just the delivery of of the, the manger. It's not the delivery of that silent night, holy night. It's the fact that Mary continues to raise this child as her own and Joseph does too on and honestly and and give him uh, this sense of identity um, because if he didn't have that Jesus wouldn't have been able to have been a part of the society that he was a part of and continue to create a space and Mary walks with him all the way to the cross Mary is there at the cross. Mary is there at the tomb. Mary is there at Pentecost. So Mary is a part of this complete deliverance of this is what peace continues to look like when the kingdom of God begins to be revealed through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But also when the Holy Spirit comes and peace is delivered as the church continues that work. And and so we see Mary as this pivotal picture and we forget that she's there all the way through offering Jesus the human support, the human parental love that we've talked about, that God has been giving these women all along, the human parental, I'm with you, I will not leave you, just as your God will not leave you. I'm I'm gonna be that human that stays with you and, and is in essence, the example of a true disciple. She stays with him, but she also, one of my favorite pieces is Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine is because his mom's like, hey, there's not enough wine. You need to do something about it. Right. And Jesus is like, chill, mom. But she's like, no, no, you need to do something about this. We need more wine. So when we compare Mary and God, you've got these, both this witness, this presence, this care, but you've also got this like prodding and this instigation too that she's she's not this you know right can you imagine being at a party and your mom's like go ahead and do that little jesus thing you do (laughs) 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 go ahead one one time to keep the party going you know what i mean but i think i think uh jen what you were saying also speaks to like for i was thinking about this piece 
that she ushers in is uh, if it's if it's Shalom and Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in this building that we've been talking about. Well, that bridge. I think about the language we've been using here. We moved from building to mm-hmm. revealing, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so revealing the kingdom of God, revealing the peace, the Shalom of Jesus Christ in this world. That's part of what she's delivering. This this peace. And and it's and and then to piece it all together for for what was happening in my head as you were speaking was that it's ongoing, right? Shalom. This piece is, is Melissa. You were saying it's, it's a verb. It's active, and it's not in a it's not action in a moment. It's action um, throughout our lives that working towards a more fuller shalom or working more towards revealing the kingdom. And and that Mary not only does it here in in Luke one but does it throughout the ministry of Jesus, she's actively part of it as a disciple and as someone who's part of delivering peace. And it's interesting because I I think about Mary being at the the moment of Pentecost and the church beginning. In in essence, Mary, the, the delivery, the physical delivery and birth of Jesus happened, but the delivery of the kingdom of God is still continuing and, and, by being there at the birth of the church, Mary hands it to us. Mm-hmm. You are the God bearers. Mm-hmm. The church are the God bearers. You're continuing the birthing process. And we're, as Valerie Kaur said, I used it last year, we're still in the ring of fire. We are still in transition until Christ comes again, which is what Advent is really all about. That's exactly yeah. it. The dual, we, we, it's the dual meanings of Advent. Already, we, not yet. We, we consider Advent to be, culturally, this moving towards Christmas. But liturgically and in church tradition, Advent is both moving towards celebrating the birth of Jesus again and again. But Advent is also about the second coming of Jesus. That Advent is both um, both that that Christological, um, incarnational, excuse me, um, preparation, but it's also the eschatological preparation to get right. into the big fancy terms. But <laughs> but but looking towards Christ coming back to make all things full and new and complete and peaceful and all of those things that the kingdom is meant to be that began with his birth. Right. And the only way we can be God bearers of of this peaceful kingdom leading our lives in the peaceful kingdom is to learn like Eve how how to wrestle with that spark of divine creativity and recognize that it is a love blessing it is a love gift that's been given to us but it's in proper form of of creator and we are co-creators and we are creating and and, and it's wrestling with Sarah and and recognizing our, our, our sinfulness is in the fact that we try to solve, the, solve it ourselves and we don't trust God um, and we try to be the creator again. It's, 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 it's letting hope be delivered and practicing those resistance moments where we're going to live with integrity fully like the midwives um, so that we can then take on Mary's peace of, of what it is that we're called to deliver, which is ultimately a peaceable kingdom mm-hmm. in every way, sense, and form. And that's when Christ is born in us. And that's when Christ is born in the world. When we walk through, like these women did, that promise. Yeah. 
So be it. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And amen. <laughs> Can't wait to get to Christmas. <laughs> it yeah. is yeah. so close. It is almost Christmas Eve yeah. for us to be able to celebrate uh, the, the fullness of these stories and the fullness of God's story being delivered in Jesus. So. We want to invite you to, to be a part of Christmas Candlelight. Go to our website and learn about when, when the services are. And, and if you're a St. Luker, we invite you to help reveal the kingdom of God by coming go. on the 23rd yeah. um, to make room on the 24th for all of our community to come and experience this love story yeah. um, in Jesus. So we have three services on the 23rd, a contemporary, a traditional, and a children's service or children's choir-led service. And then, of course, we have contemporary and traditional services on Christmas Eve. So we hope to see you then. And then we hope to see you in the new year when we start these podcasts podcast again um, and really dig into the gospels and what who we meet as Jesus in each of the gospels. It's gonna be fun.